better than us. We're concerned if someone has something bigger than us. We're concerned if someone has more than we do. We want life to be fair. But this idea of fairness really comes from our selfish and our sinful attitudes. As Christ followers, we have to learn that life is not fair. I want to get that across right now. Life is not fair. We need to understand how, as Christ followers, we can still live a meaningful and blessed and wonderful life in the Lord, even in the midst of life not being fair. Today, we're going to look at Acts 25, and we're going to see how Paul is in the midst of unfairness. But if you know anything about Paul's teachings and Paul's writings and his understanding, we're going to learn from Paul how life can still be blessed, still be joyful in the midst of this unfairness. So let me kind of recap for you a little bit. We're in Acts 25 today, but let us go back to Acts 23 for a moment, okay? So in Acts 23, Paul is arrested on charges of inciting a riot and of being a ringleader for these followers of Christ and desecrating the temple and leading um, people into what's called the way, which is what the Christians recall back in Paul's time. And so Paul is arrested and he's brought before the, the religious court and he's tried, but then he's brought before the, the, the government tri uh, trial. And he's moved from Jerusalem to Caesarea. And at Caesarea, he comes before the governor, Felix. Now, all this seems very unfair to Paul, right? Because Paul hasn't done anything. And he's there with Felix, and Governor Felix doesn't find any charges against Paul valid. But, and it's a, this is big, he leaves Paul in prison for two years. So imagine you're in prison, the charges are not valid against you, they haven't convicted you of anything, but they leave you in prison for two years. And then Felix retires, if you will, and Festus becomes the new governor. And Festus leaves Paul in prison as a favor to the Jews. And so Paul is still left in prison. Now the Jews want to take Paul back to Jerusalem because they're saying this is where he committed the crimes, this is where the trial should be held. But in their minds, if you remember back, really what they're doing is they just want to kill Paul. They just want to rid themselves of Paul. And they again have another plan that if, if they get their way and Paul gets transferred back to Jerusalem, then they're going to try to kill him in the transfer. Remember, on the way from Jerusalem to Caesarea, they wanted to do it, but the commander had found out about it, had a large detachment protect him, and he made it safely to Caesarea. I remember when... Uh, Tiffany was in sixth grade, and one day she comes to school, and a girl in her class comes up to her and says, I didn't study the vocabulary words. Can I look at your paper? And so Tiffany says, sure, you, know, you can look at my paper. And so she gives her a paper. It's before school, so she goes off and she plays for a little bit. The bell rings, and they, she runs up and gets in line, and then she discovers that she doesn't have her paper. You know who has her paper? The teacher now has her paper. And next thing you know, she's being taken to the principal's office, and we are being called by the principal 
telling us what's going on. See, she didn't know that the girl was copying from her paper, was cheating using Tiffany's paper. And so Tiffany got in trouble for doing this. And she lost recess for the next two weeks. What do you think she said? What did she say, Jules? This is unfair, right? It's just something worse. <laughs> so she just said, this is unfair, right? I didn't do anything wrong. Why did I get in trouble? This is unfair. How often in life does this happen, right? Where we feel like we've been unfairly accused of something, unfairly punished for something we didn't feel like we did. So Festus comes to talk to Paul. He asks Paul, uh, well, he's gone to back to Jerusalem to talk to the religious leaders and heard about how they want Paul transfers back there. And so Paul, he comes to Paul and he says, will you be transferred back to Jerusalem? Now Paul says this in verse 8, then Paul made his defense. I have done nothing wrong, right? Did you hear it? This is unfair. I've done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar, he says. Sounds like what Tiffany would have said to the principal. This is unfair. Yet, depending on our circumstances, we're going to encounter unfairness in our life. And we don't always get what we deserve, and sometimes we get what we don't deserve, right? Sometimes life is unfair. Paul had not violated any of the laws of the Jews. He had not taught any doctrine destructive to it. Paul preached Christ, stating that, as Jesus did, that Christ was the end of the law. Christ had fulfilled the law and helped people see what the law was about. The law was to help us to understand how we were to live a morally good life. The law was there to help us understand that we couldn't live up to the law, that the law or our works or our actions could not save us. Only in Christ as our Savior could we be saved. The law was there to point us to our shortcomings, our failings. Even more, Paul had not defamed, profaned the temple, or he had he offended Caesar, nor the government. The Jews were trying to appear as friends to Festus so that they could get their way against Paul. So Paul had a decision to make. Paul had to decide whether he was to be tried in Rome or Jerusalem. The charges would be the same, so did it really matter where he would be tried Rome or Jerusalem? And the answer, honestly, is yes. It did, didn't matter. In Jerusalem, he would be surrounded by a greater crowd against him. In Jerusalem, there would be a greater amount of witnesses against him, right? Paul knew that the Jews would find a way to have him put to death if he was sent back to Jerusalem. Now, you know I'm a sports fan. You might have heard of the term home court advantage, right? Or home field advantage. Home field advantage is a big deal. I mean, if you look at teams' records, they have a much better record at home than they do on the road. Even winning teams, if they win even half of their games on the road, they are doing very well. And so home court advantage is very, very important. Now, I think you also know I'm a Lakers fan, right? Well, especially the Lakers of the 80s. Not so much the Lakers are right now, but... Oh, trip to Jerusalem would be dead. I remember those battles between Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. 
I mean, this rivalry between the Lakers and the Celtics was huge, right? In the 80s, the Celtics won the championships three times, but the Lakers won the championship five times. In the 80s, the Lakers and the Celtics played in the championship three times, and the Lakers won two of the three times. Now, Boston has really been known to add to their home court advantage. I don't know if you've heard much about this, but they would do things like not give the, home, the visiting team hot water in the showers. They would not turn on the air conditioner in the locker room for visitors. They would do a lot of little things like this that not only meshed with you physically, but mentally and emotionally. They tried to get as big an advantage as they can at home. And Paul had this understanding. He knew that they would have home court advantage if he went back to Jerusalem. And so he says in verses 10 and 11, and read the yellow part with me, Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court, where I ought to be tried. I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. He says, I appeal to Caesar. I mean, he's saying this in the midst of already having been there for two years, right? Still waiting for a decision to be made on these charges. And so let me just give you a quick oversight here. If you look at the very bottom right, you'll see the word Jerusalem, okay? So this is where it all started. This is where it took place. And then just above Jerusalem, you'll see it says Caesarea. And underneath it, it says two years. So he's been there two years in prison in Caesarea. So now he appeals to Caesar. And so he's going to be taken to Rome to be tried. If you go all the way up to the very, very left corner, upper left corner, you'll see the word Rome. And you see a lot of blue in between, don't you? So we're going to see over the next couple chapters that Paul is going to be traveling by ship from Caesarea to Rome. And this is kind of heading to the end of the book of Acts as he's going to make this journey. And so he appeals to Caesar. He's now going to be taken to Rome and be tried there. Important to understand in many ways what was going on for Paul was not surprising to him. Because if we remember, I mean, he's a follower of Jesus, right? And Jesus suffered persecution. And Jesus told his followers, you too, if you follow me, if you're true Christ followers, if you're following me and speaking for me and telling the gospel, if you're doing this, you will face persecution. And so Paul, for Paul, this is not unexpected. And so in the midst of this unfairness, Paul is understanding this is my lot. I understand that. But for Paul, he knew that life with Christ was much better than life without Christ even in the midst of persecutions. For Paul, having Christ in his life meant, his, meant that his life was more purposeful, meaningful, and fruitful. And he would not have exchanged what he was going through because he had Christ in his life. So let me give you an understanding of his mindset here. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 12, again, read the yellow with me. Paul says this, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. 
For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. See, for Paul, what was most important for, was for him to be in relationship with Christ, for him to be growing in his faith in Christ, for him to be serving Christ in his life, to fulfilling the call that he had been given was his goal and purpose and what brought him joy in life. He was always ready to die because he knew that death meant that he would be with the Lord in heaven forever. As we talked about last week, Paul was able to live his life with a good conscience because he knew that everything he did was for the sake of Christ. Well, a few days go by, and King Agrippa and his wife show up, and Festus is perplexed by this whole situation with Paul. And so we heard this uh, from the reading, but let us read together again, 18 to 21. Festus is talking to King Agrippa. He's wanting to share this with him because he's perplexed. He says, when his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus, who Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters. So I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. But when Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar or to Rome, where he's going to be sent. So Festus was expecting some great grand charges brought against Paul. Instead, the, these charges seemed minor, almost inconsequential to him. I mean, he was being charged for disturbing the peace and inciting riots and desecrating the temple and claiming that Jesus is alive. Now, maybe the first two kind of had a little bit of issue for Festus, but the, the last two were religious in nature, and he's, he's at a loss how he was going to judge Paul in this. Now, for Festus, for Paul to claim that Jesus was alive meant nothing to him. But we must understand that that claim that, that Paul makes there, that Jesus is alive, is foundational to our faith foundational to Christianity. The very existence of Christianity is held on that foundation of Jesus' resurrection. Every Easter, we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, how he was killed, put in the tomb, and then three days later, he was raised from the dead, and he appeared to his disciples, and he promised that he would dwell with them and be with them, and in turn, with us as his disciples. And then he returned to heaven, to sit at the right hand of God the Father. But right before he went back to heaven, he gave those words in Acts 1.8 that we've been reciting each week about us being witnesses for him, declaring who Jesus is and the difference that Christ makes in the world. So think about this for a moment. If this is true, if this is real, that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, and all authority of heaven and earth has been given to him. And he promises to be with his disciples, to be with us to the end of the age. If this is true, then nothing is more important in our lives. Nothing is more crucial for us to understand that Jesus Christ 
is Savior and Lord, and nothing is more important for anyone in this room than to believe in Jesus as their Savior and Lord and to follow him. Nothing is more important than that. Norman asked a question, is there anything I could give to Jules that would make up for her not getting a piece of candy? And the answer is yes. If she has Jesus, then it doesn't matter, does it? Because nothing is more important, not even a piece of candy, is more important than having Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. The resurrection is important is because without the resurrection, Jesus would not have completed his mission. I mean, while his death was important for, for paying the penalty for our sins, it wasn't the complete picture. Without the resurrection, we would not, we would not have, he would be Savior but not Lord. His death gave us victory over sin and death. His death gave us freedom from the effects of sin in our life. It gives us hope to live a more fruitful life in this world. Because of his death and resurrection, we can be filled with the peace and the love and the joy and the goodness and the hope of God and the hope of eternal life to spend eternity with God in heaven. You see, when we get caught up wanting life to be fair, what we're really saying is that we're, we really care a lot about the things of the world. See what's going on there? Our focus is more on the things of the world in comparing what you have and what I don't have than on the things of God. The blessings that God pours into our life, the blessings that God gives us, having eyes even to see the blessings that he regularly gives to us when we follow him faithfully. So even though life is unfair, we know that heaven will be more than fair. We know this because of the promise that we have from Christ. Paul talks about in Romans 8, 4, that we are not to live by the flesh, but to live by the Spirit. In other words, we live for the things of God, not for the things of the world. And then he says in Romans 8, 18, read with me, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So there he is sitting in prison, and this is his frame of mind. In the midst of life being unfair for him, very unfair, two years in prison and not being released and not being found guilty, and he's able to say, I don't care what sufferings I experience here on this earth, it is nothing compared to the glory that I will receive and I will experience when I get to heaven. I'm going to play a song for you for a moment. A song that you will know very well. So much so that they made a movie out of it. And go ahead, Lillian, you can put that, put that up. And as I play this song, I want you to really just take in the words. Really try to reflect on what are the words saying. Not just what are the words saying. What maybe are the words saying to you? What, what does God want to say to you in this song? Only a 
what my eyes will see when your face is before me. Only imagine, only imagine. Founded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or an I'd be able to speak at all I can only imagine Yeah I can only imagine Only imagine When that day comes Then I'll find myself listen to those words. As you listen to those words, those words are talking about heaven. Being in the very presence of God. What will I do when I'm in the presence of God? When I see him face to face. When I experience his love and I experience his glory. What will I do? You see, life will never be right if you're concerned about fair and unfair. You will never be happy, you will never be satisfied if you're concerned with what you have, what others have, and what you don't have. What are you to do in the midst of life being unfair? Well, the answer is Jesus. 
Read the yellow with me. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. While Tiffany got in trouble at school, she did not get in trouble from us. But we did remind her that she needs to be careful who she trusts, and she did gain a new wisdom of life, that life is not always fair, but that God is always there with her in the midst of the unfairness. So whenever you feel like your life is unfair, what are you to do? Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Think about what God gives you and how God blesses you when you faithfully follow him. Seek to serve him and do his work and follow the call he has on your life. Keep your focus on Jesus, not on the world. Let us pray.